Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. What's up, traders? How you doing? Hope you're off to a really great start for the year. Welcome to episode 56. All right, so this week's guest is Matt Zimberg. He's the founder of Optimus Futures, a boutique brokerage firm that, of course, caters specifically to futures traders. Matt has been deeply involved in the business of trading since his early 20s, and while he's no longer an active trader, he is extremely insightful on the subject. Keeping in mind, he has extensive conversations with many traders every day, from absolute beginners to those trading seven-figure accounts and upwards. In particular, some of the topics we covered during this interview include the makeup of a successful trader, why professional trading should be boring, I know you hear it all the time, but Matt does a really great job of explaining why. You'll also hear some tips and pointers for selecting the right broker and much more. Now, because Matt is a registered broker, I have to read out this disclaimer, so please bear with me. Trading futures and options involves substantial risk of loss and is not suitable for all investors. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results. You should therefore carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your financial condition. The placement of order such stop loss or stop limit order will not necessarily limit your losses to the intended amounts since market conditions may make it impossible to execute such orders. The use of leverage can lead to large losses as well as gains. All right, now that that's out of the way, let's get to the interview. Here's my guest, Matt Zimberg. What's up, Matt? How's things, buddy? Things are really good, and I'm excited uh, to be here with you. Good to hear. Good to hear. Welcome to the podcast, man. It's really good to be speaking with you, of course. Now, for this episode, I feel like you're going to provide us with somewhat of an an interesting perspective as someone who runs a brokerage and has done for many years. Uh, whereas most people I speak to have broken experience, uh, have come from broken and transitioned into trading, but you're much the opposite. So let's wind back time to your early 20s when you did first get started in trading. 
What was your introduction to trading and where did it all begin for you? I would say that probably the first time I had real curiosity in the markets was during my time in college. Uh, There were a lot of students that I was surrounded with that studied with me, finance and MBA. And at the time I was exposed to some academics that started learning about derivatives, swaps, and things of that nature. And that uh, really got my uh, curiosity in the practical field of, of, of trading in the whole intermarket uh, bank, banking and so forth. Also during college, I studied finance and economics and naturally you get exposed to those sort of things um, like trading and you know in all instruments and Forex and stocks, um, futures, options, and also over the counter. So that, that would probably been my first exposure um, to the markets. Later on, um, I started out as a broker. It was uh, one of my. I had a number of jobs after college. Um, I've been been exposed to a number of things, but I would say I started off as a broker um, on the retail side, and I really, really liked it. And from there, I continued to where I am today. Okay, sure. So. Um Talk, tell us about your, your first trade because you were quite involved with trading um, before you sort of moved deeper into the brokering side of things. What was your experience like as a trader for those, you know, in those earlier years? I would say that I was very, very naive about the markets. I truly did not understand the complexities of the market. In the first years, I didn't understand how the market works, how the mechanism works, the effect of individual psychology on trading and so forth. And I would say that took many, many years um, to learn and to see how it, um, how it's all incorporated. So I would say that the first trades that I've done as an individual uh, were very, very long term based on trends and things of that nature. But at the same time, I can say that when I started, I had a defined methodology. I understood all the complexities and so forth. Part of it, when you come from college and you have an academic background, you learn a lot of theoretical stuff. And then you start learning the real stuff that happens in real life. And anybody who went from college to uh, work in any area, that he sees that the practical area is very, very different from the academic area or the theoretical one. So I kind of, in the first years as a broker, I had to learn how to look at the markets the right way, how to analyze it the right way, and how to think about it the right way. Okay, so from there, tell us a little bit about your first years as a broker. Like, how'd you get, how'd you get involved with that side of things? The first years were very, very interesting. Uh, basically, I came, applied for a job, I said I want to be a broker, I had an interview and so forth. And typically, in the first years, it's it's very, very hard uh, because I've, I would say that you don't have the understanding um, of the market, so it's really hard to um, acquire customers. As I've became more proficient in the market, I got better at it and... I have to admit that I have, I, in the early years, I also had a lot of customers who have traded for many years. 
So they were just looking for somebody to reliable to place an order with. And they've shared a lot of information with me. So some of them have traded in the, you know, even in the 70s. Uh, so even though I started my career in the 90s, they were already trading in the 70s. They told me um, about their experiences, about their ups, their downs, and so forth. And I kind of to build upon that experience. I'm very grateful that I had people like that in my life in my early years that have actually sat down and spoke to me. And at the time, unlike today, you know, the internet was not as evolved. So I've met a lot of people in person. So in, in person, so they shared with me the information. Uh, we spoke about it. And from there, it kind of started, um, how should I say that? Um, it gave me the opportunity to explore the topics they were talking about more and more, like fundamental analysis, technical analysis, the psychology of the markets, um, surprises that can happen in the markets, and things of that nature. So those were the first years. Um, as a broker, I evolved from being a broker to being a branch manager. Later on, I moved to New York. I worked uh, prior to building my own firm. I worked in a very large FCM. I've learned a lot from that. I've learned for people in different departments. There were self-directed, managed futures. There was the risk department. Um, so I've learned really how the big operation functions before I built my own. All right, excellent. So let's get into some of the things that you've learned and observed, you know, from many years as a broker. So when we spoke, you know, prior to this call, you had mentioned to me that there were two things you really wanted to get across during this interview. Now, the first point you made was people who are good in trading are not just good in trading. So if you could, Matt, walk us through this and share what makes a good trader. Okay. So typically in my experience, the good traders that I have met have done something very successful in their life before. Maybe I shouldn't exaggerate and say very successful, but I could say that they were successful. Maybe it was in the area of business or it could have been in a successful career, but what they're used to is some sort of a, I would say a cold discipline and approach to things. And they have been through ups and downs in their life and in their career so when they came to the markets and they start trading the markets, the ups and the downs do not affect them the same way as if they would affect somebody who would say, I would say, you know, in the beginning of his career or uh, has not achieved as much. So those people have a little bit more of a, I would say, of sophistication and approach when they come to the markets. I would say if this could lead me a little bit to the idea of what makes a good trader in my personal opinion is really the idea that they've done something successful before they've built a method around it to that success. And at the same time, I would say that being successful in the market, one trait that people do not talk about is really finding order uh, in chaos. I find that people that are successful traders know how to do that. They don't, necessarily look at the entire picture, but what they do, they isolate certain variables within trading and they basically find the order in it. If I can use an example, and I hope it's an appropriate example, but if you look, for example, at a hurricane, okay, 
when you look at a hurricane, it, it, it basic, or a tornado, I would say, you basically see a mass wind that blows everything around. And it looks very chaotic. But in reality, there's order to it, meaning that it moves in a certain velocity, it has a certain radius, and good traders find those variables within a very chaotic environment. And I think that helps them a lot. Uh, this is one thing I think that people do not talk about when it comes to successful trading. And this is just purely, again, my observation. So to those who are starting out, I would say that you have to develop a discipline in something way before it got involved in trading. And if you're not the type of person that can operate in a chaotic environment with very unknown variables, it would be very, very hard to be successful in the, in the trading arena of any instrument. Okay, that's a really great answer there, Matt. And that was actually, you actually hit on the, the second point I was going to bring up, uh, which you'd mentioned to me, and that is successful traders typically thrive in chaotic environments. So I think you covered that pretty well in there. So what are some of the greatest misconceptions that you often see or hear about good traders? There is a concept of what traders think of good traders, right? So what the retail um thinks of what good traders are and what they aren't. But the one thing that I um, noticed is that successful traders have at times the same psychological issues as beginner traders. But the difference is, is that they stick with their method. So I don't, I think that at some point people think that successful trader has completely overcome the psychology part. And I would say that they simply learned to live with the idea that they have to listen to their method more than their own gut feelings tell, tells them. And I'll give you a very simple example. Not long ago, I spoke to a really good friend of mine, and he's been trading for many, many years. And he, he told me that when he listens to his method, and what I mean by listening, when his method tells him, for example, that he has to add positions to a falling market or he has to short you know, a market that is going up. Many times it gives him very strong um, uncomfort level, but he still learned over time because of his success to learn to his method more than his gut feeling. So to all the people out there that are beginners, they think that, you know, successful traders have it all in control. Many times they don't. Psychologically, they just act on it differently. The second thing about misconception is the methods that they use. I often find that beginner traders think of um, traders out there um, as people who have a very sophisticated method um, and many, many variables to it. But I find that successful traders have narrowed it down to a very small number of variables. And this is basically uh, what they go with. I think that beginner traders, as opposed to very experienced and successful traders, uh, they try to have many charts, many screens, many platforms. And they think that that will all lead to success. But the reality is the successful traders that I saw and have met over my life, they use very simple methods and they actually very proud of it. They don't say that they use sophisticated methods. 
They say we use simple things, it works for us. But I would say that they also have a very strong um, sense of risk management, meaning that regardless of the methods that they use, they know that many times they're wrong and they're, they have the ability to absorb losses and move on. And that's a very important trait in a successful trader, meaning that he has the ability to be hurt many, many times and not stop and continue doing it, uh, and, and, you know, day in and day out. I would say that most people, unfortunately, cannot do that. And when they experience a sequence of losses, they freeze, which is really understandable. After all, money doesn't grow on trees and everybody has only a certain level of risk capital that they can apply to in their lifetime or during that year and so forth. So I would say risk management, the ability to, again, you know, ab absorb losses in a sequence of months um, and, and still continue with the method that has been successful to them. Okay, so a couple things just off what you've said there. The traders you're referring to who kind of have the approach that less is more, do you find that these are a certain type of traders as in the, you know, uh, short-term discretionary traders or the, you know, maybe trend followers like, or are you talking about traders uh, just in general? I would say that it's in general, you know, whether they use a long-term approach or a short-term approach, it still has to be uh, simple. Now, I, I want to emphasize one thing as well. When I say simple, sometimes it took them years to get to that um, to that simple, meaning that, you know, maybe they started off with a lot of variables and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of indicators and a lot of other things that uh, basically um, <coughs> thought would help them. But at the same time, over time, they kind of, you know, saw that certain things really just mislead them or they don't help them. So they simply narrowed it down. And But one thing I wanted to say is that every single trader that I've met, every single one uses a different thing. I've never met one trader that has been doing this for a very, very long time successfully and is using something very similar to someone else. And that, again, leads me to believe that there is something in their nature that allows them to operate in, in this environment using the tools that they feel comfortable. So I, I don't necessarily know if it's always the, the tools that, that make them successful, but I think it's, it's more than anything the risk management that they apply to it um, in terms of, of trading. I, I would actually, the people that are beginners always ask me, you know, what do those successful traders do? And I tell them every single one of them is different. And this is what I really wanted to convey to a lot of people that are listening out there. You know, you shouldn't really try and imitate anybody else's style and ask them what they do. But instead, you know, build your own and something that you feel comfortable with. You feel comfortable with the entries, the exits and the risk management. Right. So the second part I wanted to um, pick up from, and that is um, you spoke, you know, quite a bit about actually methodologies and, you know, a good sound approach. So how should traders go about developing their own methodologies? Like what's your opinion of a good approach? Well, 
first they have to understand how the mechanism of the marketplace works. I find that a lot of people would jump to technical analysis or price action or quantitative analysis, all those things, but they really first have to understand how the market mechanism works, meaning how buyers and sellers interact in the marketplace. And so, for example, how limit orders are being absorbed, how market orders are getting executed and so forth. So this whole interaction of uh, buyers and sellers, and it's it's really easy to learn because there's a lot of stuff on it uh, on the net today. The second thing I would say is really look at their set of um, their skill set. You know, what, what, what are they good at? Are they good in, you know, visuals? Uh, for example, I find that I, I spoke to a few traders over the years that are very good in uh, recognizing patterns on the charts. Some people are extremely good um, in terms of knowing how to read indicators, right? Some people like to uh, apply things that are in math, uh, you know, mathematical analysis or statistical analysis. I would say for majority of people, first absorb um, observe, sorry, observe the markets, observe the patterns that the markets are operate within. Narrow it down to a small number of markets. Um, if you're a futures trader, you can focus on something, for example, a very liquid market like the E-mini S&P. Although it's a very difficult market to trade, it has a lot of liquidity, it moves in certain patterns and so forth. If you want something a little bit different with, let's say, different type of leverage and movement. You can look at the 10-year notes and so forth. And once you learn the leverage that each product has, you can choose the one that is appropriate for you. So let's say maybe you're not comfortable with the movement of the E-mini S&P and the range throughout the day. Maybe it's just too much for your nature and your risk capital. But you may find that the 10-year notes, the movement is a little bit narrow. It's something that you can... Um, live with. So that's the first thing. Um, the first thing is really to choose the markets. Once you choose the markets, then, you know, like I said before, choose the methodology you want to uh, apply. Look at the visual displays, play around on every platform. You have so many um, indicators and technical analysis that you can apply and learn each one of them and what they do. You might not use those indicators, but by learning them, you will see what they're actually uh, what traders are actually looking for. And that could evolve to other things and so forth. The third thing that I would do is really learn about cash management. It is, um, we can have, we can talk two hours about that topic in itself, but knowing, recognizing, I should say, when you're wrong is the key. So you, before you start trading, and if you've traded for a number of years, you have to develop a method that tells you when you are wrong. That the reason you get out of the market is because the set of conditions that have made you get into the market is no longer there. So a lot of people can use um, risk management that is financial, but it's better, in my personal opinion, to have a risk management which is based on price rather than just money. But essentially, the risk management, regardless of the methodology that you use, would be um, a key component of your trading, recognizing when you're wrong. Because I've seen situations, and it's kind of unfortunate, 
that people have eliminated an entire account because they were hoping that the price would come back. So um, we both know that psychology is a big component of the market, but the last thing you want to resort to in trading is hope. Everything has to be based on something. So it has to be based on the methodology. So again, you know, the last part that I emphasize is the risk management, knowing when you're wrong and getting out of it. Excellent. Okay, Matt. So bringing it back now, I asked you about what is the makeup of a good trader. On the other hand, what makes a quote-unquote bad trader? Well, I wouldn't call anybody a bad trader, but I would tell you that there's different traders in different stage in, um, of trading. I mean, they're at a different stage. So, um, so when they start, I would say that even the best traders out there have lost money in trading in the, in the early years. Um, I think it's just you, you pay tuition to the marketplace. But I would say this, you know, you can define a bad trader if you have the wrong motivation. If you're in the marketplace, you know, to pay your mortgage and to create additional income uh, when you shouldn't trade, it's really going to be reflected in your trading. I would tell people this, that any type of instrument that uses leverage, whether it's futures or Forex, or if you trade stocks on leverage on margin or option trading, they basically, um, your psychology will be affected by your motivation. So I would say to those traders who have really strong curiosity of the markets to learn in the first years and not trade. And basically, as they say, scared money never wins. So going back to the traders that are trying to be successful and they're a different stage and the things that they don't apply out there are uh, risk management. The second thing that they do is that they think that there's a method out there, some mystical method that they can just copy and be very successful with it. So they can look at a successful trader, uh, take out uh, what he does and simply imitate it. When in reality, it's not true because the risk management component, that's what makes them successful, I believe, not necessarily the method. Um, the third thing that I think they do is that they change methods all the time. So they move from one method to another method to another method. And another thing, a misconception among traders that are not successful is that they think that there is um, some sort of a consistency in the marketplace as far as returns. So they think that a trader, for example, can open an account with $10,000 or $20,000 or $100,000 and generate, for example, 5% consistently every month. If you look at the returns of uh, successful traders, you can always make an average after many years of trading, but I would say that the average is very misleading. I would say that they go through a sequence of very good months and very bad months in the hopes that in the end they have a positive year, but they don't operate on short-term basis and they don't expect cash flows to be generated on a monthly basis. And a lot of beginner traders for some reason have this belief. Um, I, I would say that even when I try and uh, convey this message to many traders, a lot of them don't believe me. 
Um, they think that there is some sort of a magical method out there that makes the same return every single month. If you look at successful traders or anybody with a long-term track record, and I mean 15 years, 20 years, and so forth, it's quite interesting to see their returns and their drawdowns. And I think that traders, uh, beginner traders, should start looking at those returns to see what they should expect. I truly believe that part of my job as a broker is really to uh, inform people um, of all the knowledge that I have in the hopes that if they see it, they will also approach the markets the right way. I think that if they look at this, those kind of stats, it would kind of change their approach and hopefully for the better. Yeah, so that's an interesting topic that you bring up there. And I mean, we could probably spend quite a lot of time on this. And that's, what's a, a decent return that you could expect? Like when could you, uh, how do I say this? Like if you look at the big, big guys on Wall Street, right, they might return, you know, 20% a year and that's considered as like exceptional, okay? Um, if a smaller retail trader, maybe trading a $10,000 account, returns 20% in a year, chances are they're not going to be satisfied. What's the difference there? Like talk to us a little bit about how traders should think about that. I think... You know, if somebody has the ability to return 20%, I think it's a great return. This is just in uh, my personal opinion, considering that the interest rate environment today, although we had um, a hike in the rates, you know, with just a quarter of a point, I think 20% is great. I wish I could answer that question and say what traders should expect. I think they should expect... Um, returns that are based on their skills. Some people will have more and some people will have less. Uh, but I have encountered people, for example, that would throw $5,000 or $10,000 into an account. And their question to me is, can I make $200 a day? And usually that's followed by, I'm not a greedy guy. I just want $200 a day. And my answer to that that is greed. The minute you come to the marketplace and you say, this is what I want, whether it's 200 or 500 or 1,000, is definitely the wrong approach. Now, if you consider annually, you know, uh, $200 a day and something like 5,000 or 10,000, that's an abnormal return. I don't think people should expect it, especially when they're beginners. What they look at is the volatility of the market. And so they would look at something like the E-mini S&P, right? And they would see a range of 40, 50 points a day or sometimes 20 points a day. And they would say, this is very achievable to extract only four points out of the market. Um, but I think it's very deceiving to look at the markets this way. I think that what they don't um, have um, in terms of calculation or one of the variables they don't take into consideration is really the psychology that it takes to be successful in the marketplace, how you monitor and how you control the emotional volatility that comes with the markets. So honestly, I cannot um, um, in good faith say uh, what traders should expect. I would say that it's based on their skills, the risk that they take with each trade, 
the risk capital that they have and so forth. So different traders will experience different, different things. But I am very comfortable saying that if traders in the first year just survive, meaning that if they do things right and they don't lose their capital in the first year, I would say that in my personal opinion, they may, and again, I emphasize they may have a chance, you know, in the years to come. This is only um, an opinion. Um, this is my opinion, but I, I think this is what they should strive for. I think that most most of beginner traders should expect, you know, some sort of losses in the first years or months. And the reason is because that's just the marketplace. They have to learn how to control their emotions, develop a methodology and so forth in, um, in the marketplace. A lot of people um, try for many years to paper trade before they come into the market and they develop certain expectations from their paper trading to be applied in the marketplace. But um, a lot of people think I would say that because I'm a broker and I have a motivation of getting them started and trading. But nevertheless, I'm going to say that whatever you perform in your demo account, when you don't have skin in the game, it's a completely different thing. You will behave completely differently when you're in the marketplace. Also, um, and I know it's a little bit of a different topic, but nevertheless, people develop expectations of return based on their demo trading. And I would say that whatever happens in your demo, as far as your orders getting filled and um, and the number of contracts that you trade and so forth are very different um, than what you'll experience in, in, in real life. Mm. Yeah. And just, you know, further thought on that is like, you know, the big hedge fund managers who are managing, you know, billions of dollars, like literally billions of dollars, if they make a return of 20%, you know, is that fair to compare someone who's trading maybe, you know, a ten, twenty thousand dollar account? Um, is it fair to sort of compare their returns side by side? Like someone who's trading, you know, a ten, twenty thousand dollar account might make a twenty percent return in just a couple good trades. So can you really sort of compare your returns amongst the big boys? Not really. Um, in my personal opinion, um, hedge funds, for example, they trade a lot of money and it's much harder to trade larger sums of money as opposed to small sums of money and they just they think there's also a different set of politics with hedge funds i don't they have big customers and i don't think they're um they have certain rules and regulations as far as the risks that they can take with their customers capital now a small trader on the other hand might take, you know, uh, let's say that he'll take three, four gold positions and, you know, gold will jump up, let's say $20 in a day and he potentially could double his account, right? So on that trade, he achieved a lot more than what a hedge fund achieved in a year and he might feel very good about it. But here's the most important thing. The most important thing is consistency. You know, it's what you can do consistently and not necessarily uh, look at it at a retail trader that just does a small number of trades and becomes very euphoric about it. Um, this is just my opinion. So I, I don't think you can compare 
between the two. And, and I think people who invest in, in hedge funds, they have totally different expectations that, that somebody who is a trader. We're talking here, in my personal opinion, of an investor that, that is used to certain market returns versus a trader that might expect a lot more because he's taking a lot more risk with his capital. Right. So I guess the point I'm sort of trying to get to is that for an independent trader, it's not necessarily greedy or unreasonable to expect, uh, you know, returns of much greater than 20% per year. I would say it depends on their skill. I'm not really comfortable telling anybody, you know, a certain return. I would say everything is based on your skill. Um, how many years you've done that, the risk that you take with every trade and so forth. There may be, there are individual traders who make more than that. There'll be a lot more individual traders that make less than that. But again, it, it boils down to their, to their, uh, skill. The question that you asked me is a very reasonable question of, I, I really am asked a lot by people, what should I expect? You know, what, what kind of returns should I expect? And it's very hard for me. Uh, to tell anybody what they should expect because it really depends on their skill. I think that nobody should come to the market with any expectations of return. I would say I feel very comfortable saying that. I think that as you should just focus on your method. The minute you start focusing on returns, it's a totally different thing. And I think it's in, in a leverage environment like futures, um, I, do, I don't think you should apply it. You know, maybe in other asset classes, you can build strategies, you know, that would give you that, uh, you know, like in bonds, there's fixed returns, uh, dividends from stocks and so forth. Uh, when you trade in a very leveraged environment like futures that entails a very high risk of trading, I think your most important focus should be your method. And what it brings you, it brings you. That's that's really what it is. I think that's what successful traders also do, you know, they could also think about this. Let's say that you're, you got to the point that you're a successful trader. So a lot of beginner traders think, well, why don't successful traders just trade triple or quadruple or at least double the positions that they have if they're so successful? And then, um, you know, they'll make more. But the answer to that, the reason they don't do that is because They've used one, they're used to a certain level of risk that they're comfortable with. The second thing is the more risk you take in a trade, in any given trade, it will affect you psychologically different. So maybe some traders can, for example, uh, be successful with one lot, which is absolutely fine. But the, the minute they go to five, they just kind of, you know, they're in a different state of mind. Or somebody got to the point where they trade 10 contracts, but if they want to trade 20 contracts, might be too much for them. The fluctuations and the leverage and the effect on the balance could be a little bit different. So again, you know, the focus should really be on the method itself and the application of the method to the best of a trader's ability without thinking about returns. And hopefully good things will come out of it. Sure. Okay. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a valid point. So let's keep this moving. Um, next question here I've got, I, I think you're going to give an interesting answer to, uh, in your opinion, how does trading differ from gambling, if at all? Uh, they're very similar in many ways. Um, both involve psychology. Those who are 
poker players, you know, they have a bankroll. And any gambler would tell you that um, it's a bankroll is, is extremely important, just like cash management. So in many ways, there are um, a lot of similarities and you can actually learn from them. So one of the things that anything that involves psychology and odds has, um, those are things that have things in common. So when you place a trade, you have certain odds, you have a certain psychology. When you gamble, you have a certain psychology and certain odds. So I would say there are similar things between um, gambling and trading in terms of psychology and, and, and cash management. I would say that the difference is, is that, and again, this is just my opinion, I think the different, the major difference is really the trends of the markets, meaning that every single time you gamble, you start over with the same odds. But I think in the marketplace, you have trends. You have trends of markets going up and markets are going down and you have those trends and you can basically uh, build on that. But I will tell you this, a lot of people say, you know, I'm not a gambler, I'm a trader, right? Because they don't want to be associated with the word gambler. But the issue is, you know, if, if you're trading, for example, based on gut feeling um, and you don't have any method and you double down, you know, or you get into when you lose or you get into revenge trading, this is also a form of gambling. So I would say that, you know, when you think about those two things, I don't think you should right away dismiss the trading doesn't have any gambling components in it. I think it's important to realize that both involve very strong psychology, cash management and so forth. But of course, I think that trading is done in a better environment, in a regulated environment. Um, casinos are private and, you know, they're interested for their customers uh, you know, to lose, how that's how they make their money. I think the exchanges, on the other hand, the regulation are in our industry provide more of an objective environment for the trader. And, you know, in a place like an exchange, you you just exchange opinions, right? So somebody's long, somebody's short, and so forth. And somebody will be right at the end of the day. But the exchange doesn't have a vest interest in somebody, you know, losing their money. So I would say the trading provides um, a better and a more objective environment, you know, than a gambling environment. Yeah, I really like that answer, Matt. And the reason I asked that is because um, there's a really great article um, you have on the Optimus Futures blog. So I'll link to that if anyone wants to, you know, read more on that subject. Um, that'll be at chatwithtraders.com forward slash 56. So one other thing I wanted to ask about, obviously amongst many, um, you often hear established traders and the guys who have been around the block saying professional trading should be boring. Are you able to elaborate on why this should be the case? Yes, it's actually a very good question. Trading at the end of the day is successful trading, I should say is boring. And I'll tell you exactly why. Once you build a method and the method is successful, you really have to wait for the times to apply it. And the market may, may take uh, some time 
until it provides you with this opportunity. So even if you're a day trader, it doesn't mean that you have to trade every single day. Maybe the method that you build is a day trading method, but it only applies once a week. Maybe there was one week that every day provided that opportunity. But at the same time, you have to wait until the market forms to give you this opportunity and apply your method. It has to be done under certain market conditions. And this is why I say trading is boring or successful trading is boring, because most of the time it requires traders to sit and wait until the market presents them with this opportunity. Unfortunately, um, it's human nature. People get bored. So they don't want to miss on an opportunity. So again, you know, they, they use a lot of hunches and gut feels and, you know, newsletters and forums and other forms of communication that encourage them to be in the marketplace. But I find that those people that are patient, they wait for the right opportunity and then they apply it. I think they have better odds than somebody that just that looks for excitement in the marketplace. And that's, again, why it's boring, because you have to wait for the opportunity to come. And those people, they just learned, you know, that this is what it is. They just sit, they wait, the opportunity presents themselves, and then they apply it. And even then, they know that they still have to control their risk management, and they have to, um, you know, apply regardless if, if it was, let's say, somebody trades price action, and that certain formation was formed and they apply it, they still have to apply uh, the risk management to it, um, you know, in, in, in order to be successful in the long run. And the one thing that I would like to add, you know, uh, and, and uh, this is really important to understand, you know, we were talking before about successful traders and everything else, and you asked me about gambling as well. And... You know, there's one thing that, that is still could be very, very common. You could do all the right things. You can do every day the right things according to your plan, and the market just doesn't uh, return anything or actually doesn't play along with you or where you lose money. So you do everything right. And this is also what traders have to understand. There could be days that they do everything right. They were disciplined. They waited for the right opportunity, they applied the risk management, and still they were not successful in the trade. And this is what successful traders have learned also to live with time, is that the fact that they can do everything right and still be wrong. And this is something that uh, majority of the people will not want to do or admit to, that they actually could do everything right and still have a, you know, unsuccessful day. So that's important, um, you know, to, to understand. And, uh, and the reason that I'm sharing it with everybody is God forbid not to discourage anybody from trading, but rather I think that, you know, if you're prepared right, if you know all the facts, one thing that I try to do with my customers is really give them all the facts up front um, and be honest with them about it. And I think if you provide them with the right facts, I think that a lot of people will make the right decisions along with it. Yeah, that's a brilliant answer. And I like the part where you mentioned that even if you're a day trader, that you don't have to trade every day. And it kind of reminds me of a point that um, Cam Dada, who I know uh, you're f very familiar with, um, 
mentioned on a previous podcast and he spoke about how, you know, there's some days where he might sit in front of his screens for, you know, five hours and not even place a trade um, just because he has a very specific framework for how he trades. And if, um, you know, the market doesn't align with that, then, you know, it's a no go. So, right. um, yeah, that's it's a solid point. Now, another question I'd like to, you know, put to you is, why do traders many times find themselves repeating bad habits and lacking discipline? Well, let's go back and talk about what we spoke about earlier about, you know, people who approach this game or were successful before. Um, they're used to discipline. Most people are not used to discipline in their day-to-day life. But I would say that there's this concept of hope And I think that people have to separate between hope and habits. And I'll be very specific and I'll I'll answer your question. So a lot of people say just this time, you know, the reason that they repeat the same mistakes over and over again, they say just this time. I'll give you an example. Let's say somebody gets into a bad trade. And it goes against them and then they add money and they add money and they add money and they blow their account. Right. And that, that, so that experience is, is done. And then let's say they refund their account. So now the same situation, you know, and what they say to themselves just this time. And if I recover, I won't do it again. So they're always in the business of convincing themselves that they will not do it again. The reason that they like discipline is because they're hopeful. You know, when they, there's a certain level in the marketplace that you, even if you're very, very disciplined, um, and it happens to a lot of beginner traders, they throw everything out the window. Everything that they've learned, everything that they've uh, applied, they just kind of throw it out the window in the hopes of recovering big losses that have occurred. So I, I would say that many traders are not disciplined, I would say if they're, because they're not used to applying a method consistently every day, they're not used to the fact that you have to wait for the market, for the opportunity. They always think they're going to miss out on things. Um, And at the same time, um, you know, they're in the, the psychology is in such a way that they hope to recover from losses and they keep on repeating the same mistake over and over again. You know, over the years, I've read a lot of articles about psychology and trading and or just human psychology in, in, in general. And motivations of people can vary from one from one person to, you know, everybody. I, I can't say uh, that I have uh, expertise in behavioral finance. Uh, which a lot of those people, you know, their psychology falls under. But I would say that hope to recover from losses is probably the number one thing where people, this is the area where they stay undisciplined. They hope to recover uh, losses that have occurred in the market. And when they try to do that, even worse thing, worse thing happened. The one advice I would tell people is basically, again, risk management you know, stay focused on that. That is your number one priority. And I'm not saying that you should be proud every time you take a loss, but at the same time, you can say to yourself, you know what, at least I applied it and I applied the risk management and you just keep on doing it in that pattern. And hopefully that would lead you to, you know, to better and positive results. 
Absolutely. Yeah, well said, Matt. I think that was probably a little bit of a tricky question, but um, I think you nailed it. So now it makes sense that I ask you a few things around brokerage while we have you here. So this may be almost like a, a two-pronged question, but answer it however you see best fit. So what are some tips and pointers traders should consider when deciding on a broker and a platform? I would say when you choose a broker, you choose somebody you get along with, you choose somebody who's competent and somebody who can give you um, very objective answers that are based on your situations. Now, at times I am faced uh, with situations with, for example, potential customers that come to us and they request certain things and so forth. And what I try and do is not necessarily discourage them from what they do, but rather show them a different thing that they can utilize in their trading, whether a different technology or they've read something online, which I don't think is right and so forth. So uh, to answer your question, a broker that is objective, a broker that understands the uh, what you're trying uh, to do and apply and offer you the right technology with it. Um, now, as far as the choice of platforms, um, how do they go about choosing the technology and so forth? I would tell you this, this is probably the most overwhelming area for traders. I would say that some are stuck for months, if not years, trying to choose the right platform uh, for them. And I would say that, you know, just choose one and, and just start. You know, honestly, might not be what you're looking for, um, but and you'll have to switch later on. But at least by working with a platform, at least you'll see what you get out of it and it might fill all your needs. So I would say it requires a little bit of research um, as far as your method. But I find that most of the platforms today uh, that are provided by the big companies uh, that we represent would, would cover probably, I would say, 80 to 90 percent of customer needs. Okay. And you might have to correct me on my terminology here, but what are some of the big differences between your typical retail, you know, your online brokers uh, versus your more professional brokers, you know, like yourself? Um, I, I'm not sure that uh, there is a big difference because, you know, we, what we do, um, if you're talking about the big wirehouses out there, um, then you know, they also were in the same marketplace. So they have a platform and they kind of, I would say, have, um, you know, their technology and they represent it. And then there's brokers like us, you know, and we represent our technology. In terms of operation, I think we're more of a boutique. So they're very big. Um, when you call in, not everybody might know your name or what you want to do, or uh, there might be a lot of uh, departments we have more of a personal relationships with our customers. And, you know, sometimes we provide, you know, the same type of technology, if not better. Um, you know, the big houses out there, they usually have one platform and they push everybody onto their platform. Because we are an independent introducing broker, we have the ability to offer different people, um, to offer different traders different technologies. 
Um, some of them, some people might come in and say, look, I need something um, very good for option analysis. You know, I'm a writer of options. Or somebody might say, look, I'm using market profile. What do you think is um, better for that? And also, one thing that it's important to remember, and this is something that you only learn over time. When you shop around, you really have to understand the technology that is provided uh, to you. It's not all the same. Um, many years ago, when we started implementing more and more and more online trading, I found that there could be really big differences in terms of technology and execution. So what you should strive to have, it's some sort of a data feed that works with your platform, which is low latency. So that's basically, you know, the, the, uh, the thing you should strive for, something that, you know, delivers your orders really fast. So I, I would say that boutiques, in my personal opinion, uh, boutique firms like us may give a bigger option uh, to a trader as opposed to just pushing one platform. We have over 40. So I think this is where we have the advantage. Now, where they have the advantage at times is basically in areas where we're not licensed, for example. So you might find that they have one platform for stocks, options, um, you know, futures, all intermingled into one. Um, and and this is and and for some traders that's important. For those who are focused on futures specifically, I think this is where we have the advantage. Okay. Okay. So just to summarize, it would be essentially. I guess the technology uh, aspect is much more flexible and which platform you prefer to, to work with um, as well as more personable on the, you know, support side of things. Correct. Okay. Okay. So following on from this, uh, again, a very open-ended uh, question, but what should an active trader consider or think about when it comes to commissions? Well, um, commissions are really important because they're basically a cost for every single transaction that you do. And essentially what you should look at from a cost perspective is a number of things. One, it's to see what kind of impact it has on your trading overall. So for example, if somebody is very, very active, it would be really foolish, you know, to pay let's say, above average commission or above average what the standard industry offers. So you have to see what impact it has on your trading. If somebody, on the other hand, trades once a day or once a week and it doesn't matter, and you know, then that's where it's not important. But, you know, there are, there's always a price war between brokers. You really have to decide who provides you with the best service at a given price. Uh, we try to be very, very flexible because clearly if somebody is a very active trader, I don't want the commissions to eat, you know, if he's a successful trader, the majority of his equity. So it's important to be very, very flexible in that area in order to retain long-term customers. But as far if I was a customer, you know, I, I would see, number one, the competence level when, you know, for support, technology, uh, making sure that um, it's it's always working and so forth. And also, it's important to talk about the one-off things, right? So, for example, what would happen if your internet fell? You know, what that's not a commission factor necessarily when you trade, but that one-off thing, you know, you have to be sure that you're 
trading um, broker is available there or um, the FCM that you work with is there to help you offset the risk when you're in that position. So those are the things that um, you should cover. So again, it's technology, price, support, um, and, and, and so forth. And again, that all stems from your level of trading. You have to look at the volumes that you have and to, to see uh, what kind of impact it has overall on your account. You may find that you might be with a broker that you pay him just a little bit more, but at the same time, it doesn't have any serious impact on your trading and you have a good relationship and you have a technology that works. Now, you may find that sometimes, you know, the, the, the impact of the commissions due to your frequency of trading. And I have to admit that some day traders, they generate a lot of trades. Some of them are scalpers or they go for a small number of points and, and, and they might do it with a large number of contracts. So that has an impact. So it's important to negotiate those things with the broker. And I think an experienced broker uh, who doesn't think short term should be very accommodating. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I guess that's a, something I'd like to ask you about is, you know, typically speaking, how negotiable is the amount of commission a trader pays to their broker? Like, especially if they notice that uh, their commissions do have quite a big impact uh, on their trading performance, like uh, you know, how do they go about that? Is it an option to negotiate with every broker, or are there certain brokers where you can and can't do it? I can't speak for um, other brokers, but I would say, you know, for example, in our brokerage, you know, um, and I believe it's the same case with other brokers as well. Although I, I don't know for sure for every broker, but I find that most people are negotiable. If the trader trader is able to demonstrate that it's really having a serious impact on his trading, um, you know, then then basically, you know, everybody should be negotiable. However, however, you know, sometimes there's only so much a broker can do in terms of commissions, because a lot of the commissions are built of other factors. They're built of the, for example, what the exchange charges. So they have a fixed cost. They never change it. Then you have uh, the uh, routing fees. So depending on the technology that you use and the platform, the platform might have a routing fee, which they incorporate into 
every single transaction. That's what they do. And sometimes the cost from them could be much higher than the cost of the broker. So sometimes it's the negotiation part is not only done with the broker, but the broker has to negotiate with, you know, the, the technology and say, look, I have a customer who really trades a lot. It would be in our best interest, you know, to lower those costs in order to help the customer. And, you know, I know there's a certain um, kind of misconception about brokers that we really want to squeeze the most out of people. But I find that professional brokers, even um, other friends of mine who are my competitors, but nevertheless colleagues, that's not the way that we think in the industry. We really try to, um, um, and I'm not the only one. So I don't want to say that I'm, I'm the only righteous brokers. There's a lot of good brokers out there who really understand the needs of the customers. And we try our best to help the customers and still at the same time have some sort of an integrity behind pricing. Sure, sure. Now, that's really good to hear. So, Matt, um, still on the topic of brokerage, I think it's still relevant and ties in, but slightly different. Um, so, you've been in the business a long time, right? What are some of the great differences you've seen when comparing, you know, the younger generation of traders to the older generations of traders, um, especially with the introduction of online trading, uh, paper trading, and the different sort of tools and platforms that are now available? Like, um, what are the great differences or challenges between, you know, today's generation and, um, you know, the generations who have been trading for many, many years? Um that's a really good question. Um, there's a lot of things that I can tell you about both the brokers in the industry that have changed and the customers that have changed. When I started in the industry, majority of my time was actually spent on analyzing the markets. So I would say that once a week I would sit and look at the markets and what happened and since most of the business was done over the phone, I would discuss that with the customer. Those things rarely happen today. I mean, here and there, you might talk to a customer about, in general, about trading and, uh, and about uh, the markets, but it was not as specific um, as, we, um, as it was before. I would say that before, also, people have not traded as frequently as they trade today. I think today because they sit in front of the screen and they see the movements um, of the charts and the prices, I think it also affects their behavior. So before the old generation, in order to get a quotes, you really had to pay a lot of money. And it, it basically economically was not worth it. Today it's practically you know, free. Um, with, with the exception of a few, you know, fees you have to pay to the CME or other exchanges. For the most part, it's really nothing, in my personal opinion. So people trade a lot more frequently today. Today, us as brokers, we're really turned more into consultants of software, not uh, markets. Uh, people don't discuss with us markets anymore. Um, and I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying that's just the way it is. There's so much information out there today that is free uh, from personal uh, blogs to forums to big uh, news um, outlets that uh, write articles by the minute. The amount of information is out there is incredible. 
So the old traders were more focused on, I would say, back in the day, on longer term trends that would take one trade, uh, you know, here and there, focused on longer term. Today, because of the commission cost that has been reduced substantially down and because of the access to the markets, the ability to deliver orders so fast, the amount of trading is increased from the younger generations. I think they're more focused on shorter-term trading from scalping to day trading. And I find that people that are focused on long-term trading are just less and less and less. Um, also today, people trade a larger variety of markets. Back in the day, people would need to follow a certain sector, like they would follow the grains or the metals. Today, people trade everywhere. Um, I mean, anything, anything that moves and in different exchanges. They can trade the E-mini S&P during the day and at nighttime, they might turn onto the Eurex and uh, trade uh, the, the DEX market. So the reality of, of, of it all is that the trader has changed substantially, his nature, uh, what he's looking for in a trader. And the traders have become, I'm sorry, and the brokers have become more of technology providers. And that's what we do. We're just in the business of kind of technology and commissions. Okay. And just while we're on this subject, um, what tips do you have for traders going from a demo account to live trading? Uh, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but just, um, yeah, what tips and pointers could you give to someone who might be making the jump? Okay. Well, before they even make the jump, I would say that during their demo, they really have to behave as if it's real money. And a lot of people say they do that, but they really, really don't. For example, you know, somebody might trade X amount of contracts on any given future contract, but in real life, they would trade a lot less, right? Or um, they might use timeframes that are reasonable uh, you know, in a demo, but they're not reasonable in real life. Let me use a very specific example. A lot of people say, I just want to trade one tick on the E-mini S&P. They just want to trade a lot of times the one tick minimum, which is $12.5. And I would say for a retail trader, it's impossible. It's impossible because you can't sit at home and with the latency that you have, you know, to go to the marketplace and do those kind of things. It's just... In real life, it's not practical. What you need is to have some sort of an automated program um, or, or some sort of an algo that sits on the server of the exchange and you have to have exchange memberships that would lower your commission substantially and so forth. But this is just one example. So it's important that when you trade demo, not to treat it um, as only a tool of demo and imaginary thing because the transition to real trading would have real important um, impact on your results. So you might see that the results in real life are not the same. And, and, um, and if you didn't apply it right on the demo, they will never be the same. So I would say that's important uh, to do. Now, some traders just don't know those things. Unfortunately, it's lack of knowledge that makes them behave one way in the demo, and then in real life, they expect to have the same, and it's just not the same. But I would say that um, that the difference when they transition, okay, from demo to life, uh, to a live environment, I'm sorry, um, is to realize that when you have skin in the game, you have 
a completely different behavior when it comes to your money, completely different. They can't expect the same results. I don't think you can learn how to trade through a demo. I believe that you can only learn how to trade with real uh, life capital because the the emotional reactions in both situations is completely different. And because I believe in, you know, in discipline and the psychological composition of a trader, I, I think that this is where you would basically see uh, the difference um, in, in the two. So I think traders really have to realize that once they transition to a real live environment, it would not be the same. I think demos for the most part are there, you know, in my opinion, just to learn the trading platform. It really is. Um, it's where you learn the functionalities of the platform. So when you trade live, you don't want to use a manual or call your broker and say, where do I press this or where do I press that? You just learn over time, you know, how, how to do things. Now, I'm going to say also another thing, which is another aspect that periodically you have people who trade live, but they might test a method on a demo environment. Now, those who have traded live for many, many years and or for many months, when they go back to demo, they, I would say, are more realistic about the limitations of demos. They already understand that if it works in demo, it doesn't mean that it work, works in real life. They just, but they test it um, in, a, in a fashion that would works many times with the limitations of a demo. So when they move to real life, they don't have the same expectations. They might um, test certain things in terms of data. Um, they might turn uh, see if it's um, economically viable for them to do that. But again, their expectations and the way they approach demos are very different than those who never traded before. Absolutely. I think that's a really valid point and I can kind of relate to that on some level. Like I remember when I very first got into trading, um, I was on a demo account obviously, um, but I couldn't, it just didn't really feel right. Um, I just knew that I wasn't treating it um, like I would if it was real money on the line. So yeah, after live trading for some time and then I went back onto demo um, at you know later on to try a different sort of methodology and um, it was much more helpful after I'd kind of had a little bit of experience actually live trading. So yeah, totally makes sense what you're saying there. Now, Matt, where do you see the future of trading headed? Like where is our industry going? And um, maybe if you could aim this answer more towards independent traders. I think the focus from um retail customers and uh, self-directed customers, I think the direction is going towards faster and faster um, connectivity to the exchange, low latency execution, and emphasis on the data. Today, uh, retail customers, and I have to admit that some retail customers are very sophisticated. Um, I have come across retail customers that I've actually learned a lot from. They have been, for example, in areas of software and programming, and this is, and I'm not a, a programmer per se, 
And so I have some basic knowledge of some certain programming languages, but I've learned a lot from them how they look at the market. So I think the direction that we're going to where it's faster execution, low latency, and also um, the ability to transmit unfiltered data. I think this will be a very important focus for a lot of technology uh, companies out there. And I think this is what would uh, traders would demand from the marketplace. Sure. Okay. Exciting times ahead. <laughs> so, Matt, are there any final words um, you'd like to add? I think we've covered a lot of ground on this episode. It's been really, really great. But are there any any final words you'd like to add before we start to wind things down? Um, I would just say that, you know, it, it takes a long time to be a trader. You shouldn't be in a rush. You really should filter the information out there. Um, the more you talk to people or actually trade, and it's, it's hard to find traders. For the most part, I find that people who trade, they don't advertise that they trade. You, you would never know. They always say that they do other things. But if you have a chance to talk to people who actually trade real live, um, you know, and they apply it year after year, I, I think you can learn a lot from them. And I think at the same time, you have to filter um, also what you read on the internet. You know, I've read, uh, I've, I've read or I heard that in the, in the next four years, the amount of information that will be on the internet will be a hundred thousand times more than the amount of information since the creation of Earth. I mean, can you imagine how much information there will be there, uh, will be there about trading in every asset class? And, and you will go to the internet and you'll punch something on Google and you'll have articles and articles and articles and you really have to, the difficult part will be to filter out what information will be there. Um, not only for myself, but you know, for any, um, if, if you have a, an industry friend, try to talk to brokers like us who have been in the industry for a long time. We will give you uh, practical solutions and we'll be able to um, answer many of the questions that you have. And if you have a, a good relationship with your broker or somebody you can communicate with, this is um, a lot of the stuff that, um, that that could cover. And so basically, I would say as a final word is really more than anything is to take it easy. The one very important thing that I would say in the end that futures trading is a very risky business. You really have to trade it only with risk capital. Um, I would really suggest uh, to people that are very excited about the markets and want to participate and so forth. And I encounter those situations every day when people tell me, look, I have X amount of dollars. I want to put this much in futures. And many times I tell them, look, you can't. You know, you really have to look at your overall financial situation and see if trading in leveraged product is your best bet to start with. There might be better asset classes that are uh, better for you. But if you decide to, um, this, but if you decided that futures trading is the area for you, take it easy, you know, filter out the information, learn the platform, and, and I would say also make a journal. You know, when you trade in a real life environment, make a journal of what you trade and decisions that you have um, made right write them down, um, write, I would say the quantity that you write about your good trading should double the quantity of the writing that you do about your day, with your bad trading. Because what you want to do is get used to writing your good habits. 
and you reinforce your habits by writing more and more about them. It is important to make decisions when you make mistakes and everybody will make mistakes. But at the same time, you keep track of everything that you do. You approach it in a very, very cold way. If there are times that you have periods that you did, that as I emphasized before, that you did everything right, but the market um, kind of, you know, didn't deal you a good card, it's fine. It's something that happens to a lot of traders out there. Um, that's, that's basically it, you know. Awesome. Awesome. Well, plenty of solid advice uh, right there, Matt. Thank you very much for doing this. Um, before you go, can you tell us a little bit about Optimus Futures, like who you cater to and just a little bit more about um, your company? Thank you. It's, um, I appreciate it. So um, Optimus Futures is an independent introducing broker. Um, we trade through a number of clearing firms. Um, because we want to give our customers the variety to choose which clearing firm they want to go with. Along with every single clearing firm, there's also a lot of technology that they offer. So if people look on OptimusFutures.com, they would see um, the uh, number of platforms that we offer and we help them choose which one is right for them. Um, along with that, we, we support them. We try to send them videos about every single platform. Uh, we're in communication with them in the early days to make sure that they get the username, the password, uh, um, answer all their uh, technical questions that they might have and so forth. And above all, I would say my company is very, very patient. We're really like people. Um, I personally, you know, this is just my personal philosophy. I know that I make my living, it's, it's a very conscious thought that I have that I know that I make my living from other people taking risk with their risks with their capital. I don't think it's something that every single broker thinks about every day and it's just kind of part of a job. Look, customers call in, you help them and they trade. But I think about it every day, how difficult it is to be a trader in this environment, um, in markets that are becoming more and more volatile they're affected by algos, high frequency trading that has completely changed the landscape of trading. So trading as we go forward will be harder and harder. I don't think it will be um, an easy landscape to operate in for many people. Uh, we've especially seen that just a small point um, in the transition of uh, where people had to move from pit trading, people who operated in the pits to screen trading, and many of them were not successful in doing that. So I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Floored, but that movie emphasizes that. So I always keep at the back of my mind how difficult the environment is for traders. And so I try to help them as much as I can, provide them with all the tools. Um, and the same goes for my staff. They're really nice people. Uh, they really operate also from that philosophy because I enforce it every day. And again, you can find the rest on OptimusFutures.com. Excellent. So OptimusFutures.com, um, how else can people get in touch with you? Are you on uh, active on Twitter? Um, we have a Twitter account. Uh, it's Optimus. I think it's up at Optimus Futures. People can always email me. I always get my emails on my phone and on my laptop when I'm not at work. Um, I answer emails at night. It's Matt at OptimusFutures.com. Um, and they can call us toll free. It's... Uh, one eight hundred seven seven one six seven four eight. Our local number is five six one three six seven eight six eight six, and uh, they can also uh, through Skype 
Optimus Trading Support. If uh, you're an international customer and you're interested in getting in touch, uh, you know, we'll help you out. Excellent. Okay. Well, I'll make sure to include links to uh, all the details you just shared there in the show notes. So those show notes can be found at chatwithtraders.com forward slash 56. Everything will be there in one place. Now, Matt, I should have asked you this before we even jumped on the call. Um, I know you're a busy man, but are you open to answering more maybe general questions that um, any of the listeners may have uh, in the comments? It may be something around uh, you know, brokerage questions or questions, you know, even about trading. Absolutely. I, I always enjoy talking to people. I find that, you know, I never lack the enthusiasm to explain the same thing, even if I have to do it 10 times a day, if I have 10 beginners that day, or if I have 10 advanced traders or looking for better technology, even if the answers that I provide are repetitive, I always do it. And I wanted to tell, um, you know, specifically, Aaron, that I really, really like what you do for traders. You know, when I started out, um, when I was probably in my 20s, um, I, I don't think that people around our age group at the time took the same initiative that you take today with, uh, to help people. And I think you, what you do for the community out there, um, bringing industry people and giving them a realistic perspective about trading, I think it is so educating. And I think a lot of people, um, maybe that's one of the good things about the internet. You know, there's so much information out there, but periodically there's uh, a person out there like you who has really good intentions, who is very organized, puts things in an organized manner where people can actually listen to all those interviews, take notes, and come with realistic expectations to the marketplace. So th that's one good thing that happened with time that, you know, I find that uh, young people like yourself have a lot more skills than what we had back in the day, you know, when we started in the business. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Matt. That's, um, that means a lot. I really do appreciate that. So, so thank you. Um, so, guys, if you do have questions for Matt um, about anything at all uh, trading related, go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash 56, scroll to the bottom of the page and leave your question in the comments area and um, Matt will be obviously keeping a close eye on that as will I. So, all right, Matt, um, absolutely awesome to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for doing this. I know we'll be staying in touch and um, yeah, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity, Aaron. Much appreciated. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but rest assured there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, and we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders.